Hello, everybody, and welcome into another astounding episode of Upon Further Review. I am Kevin Sherrington. I am Barry Horn, and where is Evan Grant? It's astounding because we're still on the air. I am Evan Grant. I am in Boca Raton at the baseball general manager's meetings. How's it going there, Evan? Well, it's a very ritzy hotel, Kevin, and as you know, the media is not considered very ritzy, so I feel very out of place here. But yesterday, I did uncover the most Boca Raton thing ever. There is a room in this hotel that is dedicated and fully occupied by people playing Mahjong. (laughs) Evan, how many of them were uh, Major League General Managers? (laughs) None, but I think many of their grandmothers were there. Yeah, so they, they so could have qualified. What, what happened? I thought the winter meetings were the big deal in baseball in December. What is this uh, general manager's uh, meeting? Well, this is really kind of the first step for guys at this point in time to sit down face-to-face and start talking about needs and, and juggling multiple conversations. You can, you can text with guys and you can email and, and you can pick up the phone during the offseason, but you get every general manager here. And you've got some baseball business that they that they will talk about um, things like uh, safety issues, like um, uh, potentially expanding the netting. We just uh, had a conversation with Commissioner Rob Manfred. That's going to be discussed at the ownership meetings that are actually at the Fairmont in Dallas next week. But some issues about umpiring and arbitration and things like that get discussed here. But it also gives the GMs a, a much more casual environment in which to start the whole kind of cocktail party conversations about, hey, what do you need? What are you looking for? What do you think about this guy? And then you've got kind of that three-week span in between where the where the GMs and their assistants can kind of take things back to their office, put a bunch of stuff on their whiteboard, uh, consider, consider what they might do for, for trade proposals, and then take it to the shopping bazaar at the winter meetings. So our old buddy Richard Justice wrote yesterday – that Dave he is Don- old, and I saw him. Yes, he is. He was is. in the Mahjong room. He is over there. That Dave Dombrowski tells him that he's heard more action being discussed than he can think of recently. Have you heard anything along those lines? Uh, you know, as from from the Rangers' perspective, I don't think anything has changed. They they definitely know what they want, but uh, there has not been a whole bunch of of meaningful action on their part. I I think that the Rangers in particular are a little bit hamstrung this week in terms of wanting to get too, too active or aggressive because they've got to wait to see what Giovanni Gallardo does with qualifying. If he takes that qualifying offer of $15.8 million, and I don't think the Rangers feel like he will, but if he were to take it, then I think it, it, it definitely changes how the club approaches the off season because a big chunk of their spent, their, their flexible um, income will be gone. Barry's supposed to be asking a question. Well, I'm now. texting. He's too I'm, busy I'm, playing words with no. Friends. I'm texting David Moore, who was supposed to be on in, at this time. He wanted to know if if we don't want him anymore. I'm trying to make him feel good because we do want him because we do want to. We do want to have a cow- good. We want to have a cowboy podcast. The guy was so unprofessional. He didn't call in when he was supposed to. I'm sure maybe he was working. No. Maybe he was doing some reporting. No chance. No. Okay. No chance. So Evan, if in in the perfect world, if the Rangers could pick up. If, if something could happen here, what would be the best thing for the, to happen for the Texas Rangers at the GM meetings? I think the best thing that would happen for the Rangers at the meetings is for a number of GMs. Now that 
now that Byung-Ho Park has, has been posted and the winning bid has been accepted by the Nexon Tigers of Korea, uh, and, and it is Minnesota that has 30 days to negotiate with the Korean first baseman, the best thing that can happen to the Rangers here would be for multiple clubs to come to them and say, we have interest in one of your left-handed hitting first base. Because if the Rangers can unravel that, and this is kind of what I wrote about this morning, was if, if, if the Rangers can find a trade party that, that would be interested in Mitch Moreland or a trade party that would be interested in Prince Fielder, then it allows them to, to move one of their left-handed hitters, go get much more aggressive on re-signing Mike Napoli, and, and balance the lineup out a little bit more. All right, which, the, the which, issue, Evan, which is more likely, uh, and what are the Rangers looking for in return? Well, I, I think if, if you're... I think Moreland's more likely, Barry. I mean, he's just he's more affordable. Uh, it's a short-term deal. Um, the Rangers would probably get back more value for him. Uh, that would probably be the deal that, that's most likely. And what they could get back for him, I'm not real sure at this point in time. And I think that's that's kind of where they're they're soul searching, their their investigative uh, and and due diligence is at this point in time. That he'd have to be part of a package, wouldn't he? You, you couldn't just expect to trade Mitch Morning straight up and get what you wanted in that deal. I think he'd have to be part of a larger package with prospects to get a. Uh, because if you're if you're making a, if you're the Rangers making a deal, you got to be making a deal for a number three, right? Correct. You you can't be trading at for least. anything else. Yes, at least. That. Yeah, at least. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you want somebody who could sit in the middle of your rotation, and then the question is. You know, I, I think Cleveland would have some use for a for a first baseman. I think Pittsburgh has shown some interest in in, in Mitch in the past. Whether whether the Pirates have something to offer in terms of a starting pitcher and there could be a potential package put together, don't know. I know that the Rangers certainly would have some interest in some of Cleveland's young pitchers. Maybe Carlos Carrasco would be available, but I think if you're going to try and make a deal for Carrasco, you're going to have to go Moreland and a prospect and. Where we get to here is, you know, the Rangers made a, a necessary deal for Cole Hamels, but they dealt a big layer of prospects in, in that deal. And if you start dealing any more prospects, you may be at a point where you completely uh, run into the risk of, of bankrupting the system. All right, so if uh, if let's say Giovanni Gallardo does not uh, accept the, the deal, uh, and let's let's be clear, we expect that he will not. No player has ever done that. Right. It doesn't make sense if you're Gallardo to take it because even if you get a three-year deal worth ten or twelve million dollars, you're more than doubling that money. Right. And there's no reason for you to take a short-term one-year deal to try and reestablish your value. That's what your market is going to be. And, and I think that Gallardo is probably going to be in the market for somewhere around 3 and 39 or 4 and, and 48, somewhere around that, around that range. So if, they, if he does not accept this, does that preclude the, the Rangers from doing a deal with him? It doesn't preclude them from doing a deal with them, but I think it would make them turn – I think they would probably prefer to go back to Colby Lewis, Colby's – certainly been a, an anchor in this rotation. I think Colby would be more affordable. Um, and I just feel like this, if they, if they sign Colby to a, to a deal for $8 million for one year, boy, that certainly gives them a lot more flat financial flexibility with which to, to, even if they can't resign Napoli to go and get a complimentary right-handed bat, like a Steve Pierce or somebody 
to, to slide behind one of the first basemen. Is it possible that Kobe Lewis was – Is Barry off? eating Oreos right now? No, he wanted to say something, and I, and I shut him down. Uh, I didn't want him to embarrass himself again. Uh, is it possible that Kobe Lewis would be a little ticked off at the Rangers for being left out of the postseason rotation and would be looking for a better deal someplace else? I think he would, but I also think that no club has been more willing to stick by Colby in terms of the health issue. And if a team decides they're going to have some interest in Colby Lewis and they want to look at his medicals, you know, they're going to pay a very high uh, rate in terms of uh, postage to get that thing because it weighs about six pounds. And the Rangers, the Rangers know what the risks are. The Rangers have been through all that stuff, and I think the Rangers are – are willing to dive back in despite all the risks. You, I think other clubs would get, would have some pause. Do you think Mike Napoli is carefully watching what the Rangers do with Mitch Moreland before he makes up his mind? Yeah, I think that I, I think that is is part of the process. But I also think that um, look, I mean, here's the deal: if if the Rangers get aggressive and deal Moreland, it opens up the uh, opportunity for Napoli to potentially play first base every day. If they don't deal Moreland, then Napoli is more of a platoon player. And so, yeah, if you're, if you're a ball player, you want to play every day. Uh, I, I think you definitely pay attention to that, but, but he would, he'd love, Napoli would love to be here. Same time, Mike Napoli would, he'd love to be in Boston. You know, he's, he's a guy who has shown, to a number of clubs that he's valuable in the clubhouse, valuable against left-handed pitching. And I don't think he's going to have a shortage of, of deals from which to choose from. He too has a little bit of a medical history, but again, the Rangers, the Rangers are, are comfortable with where they're at right now with him as a, as a first baseman in DH. So we, we've had a, a restructuring of the coaching staff. Uh, it is now, I, I believe if you're going to count guys on the field, cause I don't think that Bobby Jones is going to be wearing a uniform during the games. Is he? He will not. No. He will not. So that means that everybody on the field will be someone who was not on the field for Ron Washington. Is that is that correct? Ooh, that's a good question, Kevin. Um, that's what I tried. So to you'd ask. have Hector Ortiz and and Tony Beasley not on the field for Ron Washington. Steve Bichelle not on the field for Ron Washington. Bullpen coach Brad Holman not on the field for Ron Washington. Doug Brokale not on the field for Ron Washington. Anthony Iapese, not on the field for Ron Washington, and Jace Tingler, not on the field for Ron Washington. So, yeah, I think that pretty much wraps it up there. Do you think that uh, the the skipper just wanted his own guys? Uh, because we've heard from Dave Magadan uh, since his departure saying that, well, it wasn't really so much that I wanted to get back home closer to Florida. It's just that this is this is the, what Jeff wanted to do, and, and so that's what they did. And, we've, and we kind of get an indication that perhaps with Mike Maddox, it might have been a little bit of the same thing, even though he was offered a two-year deal after the season was over. So do we feel like I, this is more a, a question of what uh, Jeff wanted? Uh, well, I think that the hitting coach was certainly a situation where it. Um, it, it I, I think that Magadan is solid hitting coach. I think he's got a good philosophy. I think it just wasn't necessarily the right fit with Jeff Bannister. Um, I think I think Dave is a little bit more low key. I think Jeff wants a much more higher energy guy in that role. Uh, as far as the Maddox situation goes, look, he was offered a two-year deal with a raise off his 2014 salary. Um, Mike chose to look around. The Rangers at some point in time said, 
you know, we've got to have an answer, and Mike was still ready to look around. And by the time he came back to the engagement process, the Rangers had already started interviewing other other candidates and said, we're going to go in a different direction, and we think that, you know, maybe a different voice is, is, is going to be okay. So I, I think that's a situation where Mike played his hand to try and, and get the best contract he could, which he's obviously gotten in Washington, but I don't think it was a case where the Rangers were, were trying to move him out. Evan, we yeah. have. Evan, hey, we... let's say this. Let's say this very quickly before you go. You look at the staff now. Yes, he's brought in Doug Brokale from Houston. He's brought in Anthony Iapesi, who he didn't have any relationship with. But you look at the staff overall. You've got Michelle, who came up through the Rangers organization, Holman through the Rangers organization, Ortiz through the Rangers organization, Justin Mayshore, who's the assistant hitting coach now through the Rangers organization. The so by and large, this staff has been promoted from within the Rangers organization uh, that was not previously working with Jeff Bannister. So are they JD guys? Are they JD guys? I mean, I think, see, I hate this whole, this whole thing. This is to me, a bunch of, of crap. Is this you can't a JD say, guy? On is a family show, guy? you cannot say crap. Okay. This is not a, this is not a family show. So I can, I can call it crap. I can, I can, I can call it um, a, a whole bunch of, of conspiracy theories, but these are guys that this organization hired. And, yeah, he's the general manager. Um, and what the general manager, I think, has been trying to do for a long time is get everybody on the same page. I think that this organization, after 2011, and how close this club was, fractured inside the clubhouse. And I think it fractured a little bit in the front office. And, and so all these J.D. versus Nolan guys and Preller guys and all this stuff supposedly cropped up. I think what you've got right now is you've got guys who have been in this Rangers organization all of these guys who worked up on their way to the staff have been here at least five years or more. These are guys who worked their way up. And if you're trying to build an organization where you keep and retain good coaches, the best way to do that is to bring them through the, you know, bring them up to the major league level. Do you, I, I get the impression uh, not only that Jeff Bannister wants a different voices and that kind of thing, but as you, as you talked about, these are guys who have relationships with these young players they brought up as well, and, and that he wants. He wants guys who have those kind of relationships, but he also wants guys that he can kind of mold into the kind of coaches he wants them to be. He wants energy. I mean, this is, I think, Kevin, we've, we've seen from Jeff Bannister in the last year, we want, he wants energy. He wants personality. He wants, um, he wants guys who are going to kind of redefine coaching staff. This is not so much about philosophy with him as it is guys who are going to be real high-energy guys. And talking to uh, talking to John Daniels yesterday, we, we talked a little bit about Doug Brokale and and what the Astros the Astros young pitchers have said about him and and how much they always felt like he was in his corner. That's the kind of thing that that I feel like Bannister wants on his coaching staff. Evan, we're going to let you keep talking, but we have to go. So, uh, what's just one more thing? You're going to spend more time today mahjonging it, mahjonging it, or GMing it. Uh, well, there's also a canasta table. So. Get out of here! <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, Evan. All right, guys. Have fun. I'll see you next week. Thank I can't you. wait. Okay, we can't wait till you rejoin us. Bye-bye. And that's it.